How's everyone doing today? Good, good. How's everyone's college basketball brackets looking? Because mm -hmm. you all had Princeton and Fairleigh Dickinson still in the tournament, right? Of course, yeah. <laughs> good. Um, thank you so much for being here today on this ridiculously cold spring morning. We're supposed to be more late in the week, but hopefully we will. Today we are going to continue our, our Lent series, Tales from the Cross, where we look at Jesus' death and resurrection through the lens of different individuals and then extrapolate kind of what that meant for that individual to a larger group. So today we are going to look at what Jesus' death and then resurrection meant for Peter. Now, the, why, why do you hate me this morning? Mm, all right. So Peter is one of my favorite characters outside of anything from the biblical story just because of the pictures. Look at these. Like, this first one, he looks like he's just angry at everyone. The second one, he's literally rolling his eyes. He's had enough. Like, the, Peters of picture, the, the pictures of Peter are absolutely amazing. I love them. But who is the person of Peter? So we'll kind of just go through really quickly a little bit about what we know of this individual. Peter was born Simon. Jesus later changed his name to Peter. But born Simon, he was a fisherman from the town of Capernaum which was on the northern slopes of the Sea of Galilee, kind of in the upper region of, of, of the area. Um, his brother, him, Peter and his brother Andrew, were the first two disciples Jesus called. And keep this in your head, because this is going to be important a little later. But so the first thing Jesus does before his ministry starts, grabs these two, Peter and Andrew. Now, being a fisherman, Peter seems to have been a pretty good fisherman, because there's evidence that the boat that a lot of the stories happen on is Peter's boat. So he seems to be well enough that he isn't renting, he isn't a for-hire fisherman, he, he's the boss of his little fishing company, if you want to think of it that way. He owns the boat. So he's a very good fisherman in the area. Peter is a really good friend of Jesus's. Jesus has this small inner circle of very close friends that Peter's a part of. So in the kind of hierarchy around, you have people that are following Jesus around, a lot of people. Then you have the 12 disciples, you know, a little bit closer. Within that group of 12 disciples, you have a group of three, Peter, James, and John, that seem to be Jesus's best friends. They, Jesus invites these three in particular to a lot of very important and personal events, such as the raising of Jairus's daughter, one of the first miracles Jesus does. The transfiguration, where Jesus is on the mountain, um, some some vestiges come down, like it, it, it's a massive thing. The only people that see that are Peter, James, and John. Even the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, the night before Jesus dies, he takes the disciples into the garden, he takes Peter, James, and John with him a little further. So Peter is in this like very tight-knit group of Jesus's best, most trusted friends. Some people will often call Peter the unofficial spokesperson for the group, and we'll see a little later kind of why he tends to do a lot of speaking before thinking in a way, but he's, you know, a lot of talking happens with Peter and through, through things that happen in church history afterwards, but Peter is a very integral part and important spokesperson for the disciples. Now, let's touch for a little bit again on this relationship with Jesus. Peter is super close to Jesus in that inner circle. Jesus tells Peter, you know, this is why Peter's always drawn with keys. There's a passage where Jesus tells Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to heaven and earth. 
whatever you loose on, on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus tells Peter, you are the rock. Peter literally means rock. You are the rock on which I will build my church. So Peter is amazingly close to Jesus. You could argue Peter might be Jesus' best friend. No one knows who Jesus' best friend is, but Peter's in the running for that person. He is with Jesus for the entirety of his ministry. I think you can make a very good case that Peter saw more of Jesus' ministry than anyone. He's one of the first people called. Apparently, Andrew, Jesus didn't like Andrew too much, who knows? But then Peter gets called in this inner circle that goes off with Jesus on a lot of other things that the rest of the disciples didn't see. So Peter is the person who probably sees the absolute most of Jesus' ministry. One of Jesus' absolute best, most trusted friends. You can tell I'm kind of building up to something, right? So let's look at Jesus' death. What did Jesus' death mean to Peter? Well, you can't really talk about the death of Jesus without talking about Peter's denial of Jesus. It is one of the few stories that is told in all four Gospels. Very, very rarely do you get the same story told in all four Gospels. Peter's denial of Jesus is one of those stories. So let's read the Luke account here. This is Luke 22, starting in verse 54. Having arrested him, Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he, as he was sitting by the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man was with him. He is from, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word the Lord had said, how he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he wept bitterly. So this is the last time Peter sees Jesus, until the resurrection and everything, but during, before Jesus dies, this is the last thing Peter does. You know, and you can debate whether, you know, how much did Peter believe Jesus' resurrection was going to come, and we'll, we'll get into that later, but potentially as far as Peter knows, the last thing he said or did to his Savior, or even more so, his friend was to pretend he didn't know him, was to turn his back on him. Because Peter's not there for any of the rest of the crucifixion. Jesus' family is, a lot of the Marys are, John is, Peter's not. One of Jesus' best friends, we're told, left and spent the night weeping bitterly. Couldn't stand to be there because of the shame. One of Jesus' best friends, closest confidants, abandons him. So, spin it forward, Jesus dies. How's Peter feeling? The Bible doesn't say because he's absent from the story for a while. 
but we can fill in a little bit probably about how we might feel. Shame, actually sadness, wishing you could go back in time, make a different choice, wishing above all that, oh, if I, if I had another chance, I would do that different. I would do that different. I would make a different choice. Sadness. A lot of emotions have to be welling up in Peter during this time. So then we get to the resurrection. Now, the different Gospels highlight different elements of the resurrection story, but what I love is that three of them call out Peter specifically in their narrative. So they're short, so we'll go through them real quickly. So we'll start with Mark. This is Mark's, Mark's version, Mark 16. Entering the tomb, the Marys, uh, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. He said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, where you will see him just as he told you. They went out and they fled from the tomb, uh, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. They said nothing to anyone and were afraid. So here, Peter is called out specifically, tell the disciples and Peter. Now, there's a, well, people try to make this into a big thing, saying, well, did Peter leave the disciples? Is he not a disciple at this point? Has he been disowned? I think that's probably reading too much into it. I would argue this is just go tell the disciples and make sure Peter's there. Peter has to know this too. Peter called out explicitly, go tell Peter this. Next, we jump to Luke, maybe. There we go, jump to Luke. Now, this is Luke 24. Now, they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. So the women have already been to the tomb, seen the empty tomb, the angels talked to them, now they've run back and they're telling the disciples. Uh, I think it's apostles. But these words appeared to them, the disciples, as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. So this group of women goes and tells the disciples what's happened. The rest of them are like, no, that you are speaking crazy right now. Peter's like, but I have to go check. Peter runs and goes to see. John has a similar story. This is John 20, starting verse 1 here. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb, while it was still dark, and, and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran, came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran faster, ahead of Peter, and came to the tomb first. Stooping, looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him. Entering the tomb, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been over his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up and placed by itself. So the other disciple who had got there first came to the tomb, also entered, and believed. John's account is a little funny here. So kind of what's going on? 
John has the habit of inserting himself into every single story. So the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how John refers to himself. There's not a little ego issue going on there. But, and this, I love how John has to throw in here, by the way, I'm faster than Peter. I beat him there. But so same kind of idea. The, the Mary Magdalene goes, talks to them. Peter's like, I, we have to go see, runs after it. And I love how in this one, even though John gets there first, John is hesitant to go in. Peter just runs straight in. He's like, no, I have to see this. I have to get here. I have, I, what is going on? So what is Peter's reaction? He's running there. He gets this excitement of, I have to see what is going on. There's this little bit of hope building up in him, right? Perhaps maybe a feeling of relief. Is my biggest mistake fixed? Do I get a second chance? Do I get a chance to actually fix, take back my biggest mistake, abandoning my best friend in the moment they needed me the most? There's a lot of hope, excitement building up in him. And Peter does get the second chance. One of the things I absolutely love, so the thing Peter was afraid of, the thing Peter denied Jesus, why he denied Jesus, was so he wouldn't get brought before the Sanhedrin which was the religious court at the time, the court Jesus was in front of. That's what Peter was afraid of, being brought before that court to be convicted, to be killed. Peter gets brought before that court twice, subsequently, in Acts 4 and 5. He gets a chance to actually fix his mistake, the mistake of denying Jesus, being afraid of going before that court. He later walks into that court triumphantly, stands there boldly, and proclaims Jesus twice. So he makes the most of his second chance. He gets his chance, and he runs with it. So, who is Peter today? Who is this person that we could encapsulate as Peter? Someone who feels like they can't be loved. Someone who feels like they've done too much, there is no way Jesus could forgive them. Maybe they feel like they've turned their back on Jesus that, you know, Jesus gave me some opportunities and I didn't take them, so my time has passed. I'm too far gone now. Someone who feels shame. Maybe it's someone who, like Peter, wishes they could go back and change something. Make a different choice. Not say that thing. Say that thing. Go here, go to whatever it is. I think we all have those moments in our lives that we wish we could go back and do something different. That's who this Peter is. That's who Peter is today. Someone who wishes they could change something about the relationship with Jesus. Someone who wishes they could have that second chance for Jesus to love them. So what does resurrection look like to this person? Well, it's simply embracing Jesus' forgiveness. And I say simply, not in that it's easy, because it is one of the most difficult things in the world to accept forgiveness. Hopefully I'm not the only one who's in that boat, but it is the hardest thing ever to accept someone's forgiveness. Because we always have it in our head of, well, they, do they really forgive me? Do, what do I need to do to make up for it? We always have these questions rolling around in our head. But that's not Jesus. You know, notice the way 
how, how the Gospels portray Jesus and the angels and such interacting with Peter. Three of the four of them call Peter out specifically, saying like, hey, go tell Peter this. Peter is given exactly what he needs, that hope, that second chance, that, hey, you made a big mistake, but Jesus is explicitly going to you, telling Mary Magdalene, go tell Peter, it's okay. And Jesus does the same thing with us, will give us exactly what we need. That hand is always out, waiting for us to grab it. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we think we've done. It doesn't matter. Jesus is always waiting, always willing to grab you, to pull you back. Because, I mean, just, just think about Peter for a moment. Peter is one of Jesus' best friends, the person who saw the most of his ministry. Arguably, the reason, like, why do you have disciples? Why do you, why do you have a community of people around you? Well, a big part of it is to help you in difficult times. What did Peter do? The exact opposite. The person Jesus called to be his friend, to help him, to carry him in this moment at Gethsemane, at that night, Peter fails. Jesus' best friend, one of his best friends, abandons him in his darkest moment. And that person, Jesus turns into the rock from which he builds the church. That person is the person Jesus gave the keys to heaven and earth to. That is the person Jesus chose to build from, to be one of his disciples, to be the spokesperson of the disciples. The person with the biggest mouth, the person with the hottest head, the person who's cutting ears off, the person who really doesn't think before they do anything. That's the person Jesus chose. So just imagine what Jesus can do with us. Just imagine how Jesus wants to use us. How Jesus wants to love you, forgive you, stand with you. So how do we do this? Let's run to Jesus. Be like Peter. Run to Jesus. Every day. Seek Jesus daily. Run to Jesus daily. And Jesus will give you exactly what you need. There's no shame with Jesus. There's nothing that cannot be overcome. There's nothing that can't be forgiven. There's nothing Jesus' blood does not cover. So run to your Savior. Cast yourself upon the God who took the worst friend of all time, Peter, and turned him into the rock of which he built everything from. Join me as we pray.